Hey everybody, my podcastian friends, I hope everyone's well, it's was here, Master of None podcast, back again, it's been look, a couple of weeks again, so I do apologise if you've been hanging on tenderhooks for uh, the return, um, never forget about it, but yes, I am prone and guilty of putting it on the back burner, putting lots of things on the back burner actually, as I'm sure many of you can probably appreciate, but it's not that I've been uh, neglecting it intentionally. I hope everyone's had a good couple of weeks since the last episode, which covered composers and scores from video games and movies for the most part. Uh, It was a bit more of a, I suppose, kind of like a a categorising, you know, listing them out, but I felt that was the best way to kind of get a few names out there with some of these more memorable uh, films or pieces of work that they've done that fit under certain headings. So, you know, if you managed to have a listen to that, I hope you enjoyed it and, you know, felt driven to maybe uh, check out one, two, all of them. If you've never heard of them before, uh, it's, it's definitely something that uh, gives me a lot of pleasure anyway. It can certainly take you out of yourself for a little while while you're listening to that kind of music. Um, even more so, I think, than, than sort of contemporary styles of music or other genres. I think that uh, score music orchestral music really has the ability to uh, invoke a different mood and, and yeah really take you out of yourself to enjoy it so if you haven't checked it out check out the last episode have a listen see what you think let me know um, you can email me on the uh, master of none podcast at gmail.com email which i have or you can check out my instagram which is swap Bastard guitars send me a dm <laughs> or uh, comment on any of the the pictures that are there, of course, because I'll get the notifications, and I'll be sure to respond to you and, you know, engage in some conversation if you'd like. Always feel free to let me know if there's any interests or hobbies or stories you want to regale me with and and therefore everyone else, because I'm happy to retell it as best as I can, because as you can probably tell if you've heard other episodes, I'm, I'm often on the move. I'm always on the move while I do the podcast, though because that's where I can slot it into the day. So I'm now currently, it's Monday, I'm on my way uh, from one side of the city to the other, so it's given me a nice block of time to jump back in, say g'day, and have a little bit of a chat to you. So if you're here, welcome, and thanks for joining me. I was sort of pondering the different uh, topics that I could possibly cover in today's sort of episode, and lately I've been... uh, you know, falling, letting my the hobby, letting the the DIY instrumental stuff, kind of fall a little bit by the wayside, just because, uh, I guess, time being the major factor, just haven't had the time to jump back in and and uh, you know get these projects off the ground. So pretty much wherever I finished up telling you that I was at last time, there's every chance I'm still at the same stage. Um, but that seems to be the way that I go with most things. And uh, you, look, you might find that yourself, but that's the whole idea of this podcast too. It's it's master of none. Yeah, it's a bit of a jack of all and master of none. I'm not completely obsessed with everything or, or any one particular thing. It sort of comes and goes, it ebbs and flows. Um, and but that's okay. You know, if that's what where you can make time for it and enjoy it from time to time, when you're really feeling that drive to to get your head down into one of your hobbies, then hey, by all means get into it, enjoy it, share it with somebody, you know, let them know what you're doing and why you love it. And look, that's, I guess, what I tend to do. 
if I'm really excited about something or really into it at that point, I'll, I'll tend to talk about it a bit more and, and like to share it and just, uh, yeah, you know, get people's feedback, see what they think. And I think that's a healthy thing. It sort of motivates you and helps you uh, kind of push yourself a little bit further maybe or include those ideas in the next project that you take on or you know, try something different because when you start to talk about it, you start to see what other people you know, capable of creating as well, and, and of course, that's what I've covered when I've discussed, you know, Instagram people, people that I've seen building different things on there. You, you just get little ideas, you tuck them away in the back of your mind, and, and you can bring them out when you try out the next build. I think the same could be said for the podcast. You, of course, if you've been a regular listener, you'll know that I also do the Fly on the Wall podcast with my mate Luke or Hero. Um, and you know we've been we've been steadily at that once a week pretty much, and and I guess that for for most part that fills that kind of need to talk <laughs> that that I started this one for, and not that that's a, a very good excuse, but I think that that's why it's been a little bit longer. And I find that we talk about so many different random subjects that it it does meet that need to just chat and shoot the breeze, and uh, any little ideas that come up tend to get thrown into into that like just little creative things but also it's taught me that people like to be involved and people like to suggest things or be, uh, particularly the post-apocalyptic saga that we're covering in that podcast that we're covering <laughs> like it's a real event no, no, that we're that we're creating as we go it's uh, it's unscripted it's unedited uh, and we just tend to just run with it so there's a post-apocalyptic saga unfolding <laughs> each week and we kind of make decisions on, on the go. Uh, rock, paper, scissors seems to decide anything really pivotal and we've also enjoyed having the input from listeners and they'll suggest uh, you know, ideas for what uh, you know, characters might do or how they might feel, story twists, what, you know, the direction they feel that maybe it would head in given the scenario in their own mind and I like the podcast medium for that point it's it's like an audio book but because it's completely unedited and um, unscripted it does unfold as you speak so it, it is a collaborative effort and I think that having people's ideas and thoughts and feedback make it what it is because we do take it into account and it energizes us to to feed that into the podcast and I find that really energizing and, uh, and encouraging to do it. So I think the same could be said for this. You know, so don't ever uh, you know, hold back and hesitate to talk about something you love doing, uh, any interest, any hobby, anything at all that you love, let me know. Because this, this is a, bit, a different kind of uh, creature to the, the fly on the wall. This is talking about hobbies and interests. It's a bit more sedate, it's a bit more lumbery. Um, but it's something that hopefully you can just listen to and get a bit of enjoyment out of and have a think about the things that you like to do, even if you don't necessarily feel driven to do anything I'm uh, talking about. You might just feel driven to get in, stuck into something you're doing or just realise how much it, it does mean to you or how much you value it. So, yeah. <laughs> now, I've, we briefly brought up in the last uh, Fly on the Wall podcast, and we're talking about Hero, Luke's uh, hobby involving Warhammer and miniatures and I was thinking about that and I've been meaning to sort of talk about that a little bit anyway on Master of None and go into a little bit more detail but then also 
relate it to uh, the hobby itself in general, you know, plastic modeling kits and, and other hobbies that perhaps are a little older fashioned by today's standards. You know, as far as today's hobbies go, it revolves around a lot of digital media and a lot of uh, social media and games that are available on your smartphones and um, game consoles and all that sort of thing. And a lot's multiplayer and massive online multiplayer. There's all sorts of technology-based interactive stuff that is now seems to be the way that everything goes. But there are still some of these other smaller hobbies that you would say are probably a, you know, a full generation or even a couple of generations old now that still have a life underneath. You know, they're more of an underground hobby. But with Hero and his his hobby of Warhammer, it seems to be fairly mainstream. I'm not sure how big it is necessarily in Australia or if it's just one of those things that there's a very active underground, but it's uh, it's a little less obvious to people until they start looking. But I feel that it's a lot bigger in England and also feel that perhaps in other parts of Europe and maybe even America, it's it's quite big and quite popular still. And, and there's, I think, a Warhammer world over in England. I recall them talking about it. And so it shows that that is still, it, the, the, the network is still pulsing away underneath. And I think that's really cool. I think it's encouraging that something like that still has that mainstream following. And there's so many models available out there. I mean, just to look at his collection. Now, I can't ramble off all of the, <laughs> all of the titles that he's creatively given, all the groups of uh, miniatures that he's painted, assembled, built, modified, um, tinkered with. Uh, altered, you know, revamped over the years, but it's beyond count almost. I would say there's probably four to five hundred miniatures, and, and as much as some people might not understand that uh, level of enthusiasm, I find it, I do for the most part find it very infectious, and there never seems to be uh, an end to the level of creativity that you can go to, and it's using part of the Warhammer fictional universe it's using a lot of the the lore from from that uh, realm that hobby the novels the game itself and I think that there's many versions of the game uh, and there's the you know the Warhammer game proper <laughs> but this is sorry this is Warhammer 40,000 I should clarify because Warhammer is also a, a more uh, sword and sorcery uh, model line as well and he's very much more into the 40k uh, which involve you know space marines and, and people with guns basically, <laughs> and uh, but there's some great crossover stuff as well using the undead and, and using you know sorcerers and, and sort of biomechanical creatures and monsters that have sort of got um, huge mutations. Like I said, there's really no limit to what you can adapt and change about it, and that's what the really cool element is. It's only bounded by your own imagination his head he has a whole world a whole universe of ideas just slowly trickling and pouring out onto the uh, the old cutting board and uh, I think what I appreciate what I appreciate about that hobby is the ability to adapt and modify the existing models you can get you know a hundred different characters but to just build them as they're supposed to be as they're supposed to be in inverted commas um and just assemble and paint as you would expect them to look. Seems like that would have a limited level of interest, I think, for me as well, and for him. 
particularly. Um, he gets in there and, and thinks, well, I want this one to have his hand up in the air and holding the, the rifle so he's like firing upwards or it's like a call to arms, or telling his men to charge. Pretty much anything you can think of. There's all sorts of gestures and movements that can be adapted into these figures. There's uh, the green stuff, I think he's referred to it as. It's almost like a, a malleable clay or like a blue tacky sort of material that dries and you can you can mold that a little trim it I think with the scalpel and shape more customized images and then there's the other modelers that are that he's heavily involved with on his blog which is Imperial Rebel Walk and WordPress if you feel like checking it out and having a look at some of his creations uh, it's and you know there's all the people that are involved in that network of, of contacts and just have so many unique styles and, and ideas and that's everything from terrain to dioramas uh, you know different buildings and setups backdrops the even the even just the surface that they play on now that you can get big rollout mats that are done and they're very effective they're fantastic actually for doing the large scale um, set piece battles and even some of the photography but then some of the custom made uh, like mats when they're they're created to look a certain way like it might be a really um, destroyed you know old town or city or like an old highway and you can set it up to look just like that but it's not like you've got to go and buy that you can set that up using scrap materials and different you know offcuts of cardboard and foam and then just paint it and and adorn it you know with gravel or any little fittings that you see fit and I think that's the really cool thing too the way that it creates a unified look is very clever and I think it all comes down to the paint style and he's talked about dry brushing and different technique that's pretty much the only one I remember <laughs> um, look if you're interested definitely better to go and have a look at the uh, WordPress that I just said before but there's lots of techniques involved in the painting process and I really respect uh, what he's learnt, because of course he's my my uh, viewing glass to that world, and I have looked at other people's stuff, but I guess I'm more interested in, in the ongoing creations that uh, that he brings to the table. But uh, yeah, there's so many techniques now involved with the, the painting and creating a weathered look, or you know blood splatters, or uh, you know something that looks like it's got soot. It's kind of been burnt out of uh, an exhaust or years of hard labour without a wash. You know, all these looks can be achieved by by uh, careful application of paints or layering of the paints. And that's definitely something that I can admire and appreciate. It was something that I, in reflection, always struggled with, with the plastic modelling kits. It was something that I used to do as a, as a younger fellow. And when I was a kid, and sort of probably up until mid-teens, I suppose, I, I tended to get a lot of uh, vehicles and, uh, you know, 172 scale or 136 scale. And you know, it was, uh, you know, like I think I had a Hawker Hurricane. I had a Spitfire at one stage. I had a, a Typhoon, Hawker Typhoon. I had, you know, a Mirage. I had lots of aircraft. I really, really was into aircraft for a long time and uh, really loved getting the model kits but I think I was in such a rush to build them I would you know sort of hack them all together I had the, the liquid glue the liquid adhesive and it'd be in such a rush to get it put together and we used to you know play with them <laughs> maybe not in my mid-teens but when I was a little younger I used to you know we used to play with them using a train set and, and you know have a setup where it's like a World War II setup and 
little soldiers, little plastic men in the, in the train carts going around the train set and um, you know, the aircraft would strafe the train as it was going along and we'd be just prepping these models up to be able to use, to play with as a toy. Um, perhaps not the ideal use for a plastic model kit, but that's what we really loved and we definitely gave them a lot of use like that. So particularly the 172 scale aircraft was something that I, I did a lot of that with and so therefore never really properly finished a lot of them. You know, but that's I guess that's the thing that I'm learning from Luke Hero is that you could go back and, you know, if some of these are sitting around, you can grab them out and give them a new lease of life or turn them into a diorama. You know, like let's say I've got something that's missing lots of parts, which there's probably many. And you, you could create, uh, you know, a, I guess a bond runway, you know, with the remains of an aircraft on there. But you can have, you know, you can get a fire truck or you know, a period fire truck putting out the fire and you could make that into a scene and it was definitely something that uh, just kind of ignited my thoughts on that because in when I was a young fellow I think 13 14 went to England we, we went to a few museums and maybe it was a thing of the era uh, but there was a lot of diorama work a lot of model work they used many different scale models so some in the foreground and then to create the the idea of size and scale, they would use a much smaller scale figure in the background. So it created quite a large scene, but in a fairly small space of battlefields, and, and I guess to show um, all the different things going on. So there was a naval museum that had a lot of those, but there was also an aircraft museum, which I'm sure had several as well. And it's sort of, I think building up the scene like that really makes it lived in, and you can appreciate I don't know, the context of how the aircraft were used or the kinds of roles that they fulfilled during the war. I mean, and as I've mentioned previously, World War II history is an interest of mine, so it's something that I guess I gravitate to. So World War II aircraft was also predominantly a lot of the stuff that I managed to get my hands on. <laughs> um, look, there were also cars too, just to get on, off that subject. There were also cars as well, different vehicles. I still have... Uh, several just in their boxes that are just, I guess, waiting for the day that I decide to sit down and build them. There's a Harley Davidson Fat Boy, so I had a bit of a stage where I loved Harleys. Um, and there's also a, a, a Jaguar, and that was always a bit special because it's got the rubber tyres and the, the metal body to go around the chassis once you built the chassis. And I think I always kind of felt like I didn't have the skill level to tackle it. There were two cars that I remember distinctly. I got a bit more serious. I was probably about 15 or something. I was a bit more serious about it. And uh, I had a Mini Cooper S and a Lotus Super 7. And I really wanted to try hard to make, like to actually paint all of the details. So I was, uh, I was literally dipping engine parts, letting them dry, coming back, gluing them on, trying to build the whole thing with painted parts that were all pre-painted. It's not something that I really did much. I often tended to build the entire thing and then try and paint what was left, what was available to paint. Uh, and it, of course, isn't a very effective option. It would be better to paint the pilot and the, the seats and things like that before getting the plane assembled and having the fuselage go together and losing that uh, flexibility and, and the open part of the, the aircraft to make sure you can paint all the visible areas. So it was just something that I tended to do in a bit of a rush 
But yeah, I think I think seeing what Luke's done with with his hobby and seeing the sort of stuff that he's been able to create, adapt, change, it's gone back and revamped uh, old orc armies that were from the early days. Now we can say a couple of years ago before it got heavily into the uh, the, the blog. But now this there's, there's he, he talks about the stories behind the characters that are created. They have it's it's almost like little parts of a screenplay that you've taken out and then put when you put up the photos to show people what you've been doing so you'll have some black and white shots of just the assembled characters so like a work in progress so people can start to think wow you know looking forward to seeing that all freshly painted and um, blitzed up but what's he going to do with it now or you know what context is it going to be presented and but also then you've got different stages along the way where you see the whole group of miniatures before they're painted and then um, as each one is completed and then as an ensemble and it's always really impressive to see them when they're all finished as well so it kind of gives you a real um, looking glass into that into that hobby but I, I love all of the storytelling element as well I enjoy reading that I think it gives you know if, let's say it's an imperial I'm not sure if it's an imperial guard officer or some you know, orc commander or uh, a commissar, as they're called. That's it. Came back to me. Thank goodness. Um, you'll never forgive me. And uh, uh, you know, it, there might be a, a bit of a backstory about something, and it'll there'll be a little detail on the character that uh, links to that part of the story. And it's just that creative spark that, that uh, creates that world around the miniatures. And so some people won't understand that at all because, of course just won't make sense to them why you're putting together little men <laughs> and uh, and building this world and imagining it. But I guess the same could be said for anyone who's a Star Wars nut or a Star Trek nut or a Buffy the Vampire Slayer nut or anything. You know, they're, yeah, of course, it's all fiction. It's all created. It's just stuff that's in people's head and it's being poured out in a creative way. But I think that's, that's the great part about it. It's just pure escapism. Pure escapism. And you can... If, yeah, if, if not if you have violent tendencies, I'm going to say it the wrong way. But I think if you have those visions of um, that you just really like, like okay, yeah, I just want to have this dude that's like blood splattered carrying a, a heavy bolter rifle, and uh, it looks like he's he's blown apart some feral orc and his remains are pasted all over a wall behind him. Like yes, that sounds disturbing, but but. This is all just in an artistic way, and I think that that's the wonderful part about it. So instead of, I don't know, instead of playing some violent sport, or not there's a problem with that either, but instead of doing those other outlets, which you know we might not understand either, it's it's being creative in that way, channeling some of that stuff and, and putting it down in a, in a plastic miniature or creating a, a little war scene or writing a story that reflects that war scene. And I think that's just as good. It's just as much an, as an escape and an outlet as any. And also one that you can do in the privacy and safety and security of your own home. Um, so I, I really get that. And then for a, a little time there, I was trying to pursue some of my 172 scale World War II aircraft again. I discovered the joys of eBay and found that, you know, if you look hard enough, you can find some really great value um, models, plastic models online. You, you go to the shops you're going to buy them at a premium, of course, because the, the shop owner is going to want to make the, the difference on there. 
and they're going to charge a premium so they can make that money on that model for you know shipping it in and storing it for so long and then they're going to want you to buy the products that they've got there the paints the brushes the the cutting mats whatever but you know ebay if you know what you're looking for and you're prepared to just spend a little bit of time having a peek you can find all the things you want very slow and i was getting things normally under ten dollars getting a 172 uh, Smith or a 172 um i've got a couple of uh, american dive bombers so i sort of decided i i wanted say two of each nation so a hawker hurricane the spitfire and a misha smith and a, and a fock wolf uh, or a stuker or something like that and then you know maybe a couple of planes like a stemovic um, hello i got interrupted by a phone call that was about uh six hours no eight hours ago so i'm back <laughs> Uh, and while we were just talking about the models that I'd been trying to pick up for myself, just trying to get two from uh, different nationalities in World War II, as just a bit of an idea. I'm not even sure if I was necessarily going to do uh, a diorama. I think I was just going to have them, you know, displayed, sitting on their landing gear, or you can get a little see-through stand sometimes to so be able to pose it, the aircraft as if it's in flight. And that, that looks kind of cool too. So I'm not sure entirely what I was going to do with that. But I was going to try and get Battle of Britain uh, period aircraft. And I think that... People just keep wanting to call me while I'm doing the podcast. <laughs> okay. So we were talking about the different aircraft that I was trying to pick up off eBay for an affordable price, an affordable price. Um, and it's come back to me that that was something I wanted to do to kind of recreate in 172 scale the aircraft involved in the Battle of Britain. Uh, for most part, it was an early model Misha Smith 109 uh, and the Hawker Hurricane, the uh, Spitfire, and sort of a mixture of other German aircraft like the, the Messerschmitt 110 and then some other bombers and so forth. And I wasn't sure how far I was going to take it or how many aircraft I was going to do in total. Um, but it was just something that I, I wanted to do. The Battle of Britain history more specifically in terms of World War II aircraft is just a period of time I, I am very interested in. Something about the Battle of Britain as a period and as a, as a pivotal point in World War II history and I think in British history and perhaps even world history can't be denied. Um, I think, like many things during World War II, uh, I think many, you could think of many alternative fates for the countries if a, a particular battle had gone a different way. And that comes down to human decision and, and human um, courage and, I guess, fortitude, but also having plans that are too grandiose and then having them fall apart of course I'm talking about the germans here but yeah I, that period of history is very fascinating to me so that sort of drove me to want to do at least a couple of planes from that era the american planes i think i was pondering something more from the pacific war with japan so i would have done uh, a couple of um, aircraft carrier based fighter bombers that the americans would have had and the perhaps a couple of Japanese aircraft just to indicate not certainly by no means all of the craft involved because I'm 
sure there were many, many others, but you tend to have certain figureheads in terms of the aircraft used or equipment used. You always imagine that particular craft. You'd have like a Corsair, which is the one with like a kink in the wings in the later stages of the war, but you've got the, the Douglas Dauntless and, and other you know, big-bodied kind of fighter bombers that, that uh, had foldable wings on the aircraft carriers. And, of course, the Zero, the Japanese aircraft that they started to use as suicide bombers, kamikazes. And um, it, it's just that's the imagery that you think of when you think back to that time. So, yeah, I think in terms of the modelling part of it, I just wanted to build a couple of models. And now that's something that's sitting in a box uh, waiting for my further attention. It's just something I think with younger children as I have, it's, it's not something that I could expect them to not be interested in and so therefore can't expect the, the models to probably last more than 10 minutes if I would chose to do it in front of them. You know, I just think that it, it would be something that might get a little bit damaged or I'd be a bit precious about. So it's something that I think I'll have to get back to in the future and uh, you know it's something nice to think about there's plenty of things that I've got that you know you can think about and go oh, I've got that for when there's a rainy day so there's plenty of those but something that I was thinking about before because of course I had to listen a little bit to the first part of the podcast just to remind myself where I got to before I was um, before I was cut off earlier and it, I was thinking about anything that I've been doing more lately and I've even just done a little bit more drawing um, drawing is something that I've always enjoyed and I've always done very ever since early primary school I can remember being really fond of drawing and uh, I'm not there's lots of different uh, I guess artistic types around and people have their particular medium that they're really capable with and, and love to draw with I'm a big fan of, of grey lead pencil colour pencil and fine liner. I just I like the detail that um, you can achieve with it. And I always look at, at certain things that I see, you know, nowadays online, and what people are capable of with with a simple pencil. And it just amazes me. It sort of puts you to shame. You just think I don't even know why I bother, why I try. But I must admit, there's definitely a joy in it. And uh, I think when I've been given a reason to draw. I jump into it, you know, I try to jump into it as best as I can anyway. And once I start getting ideas, that's where things start to flow and I tend to revisit that until I'm happy with the result. And I think an example of it lately has just been the the new Fly on the Wall podcast logo that I kind of got stuck into. I look at it now and I think, oh, you know, I could have done this and this and this and this. But I think for what it is, I, I enjoyed doing it. I enjoyed making something that's sort of gone up as our as our logo. And I can imagine it as a sticker and you know, it was good. It was good um, thinking about what I wanted to achieve and then putting it down on paper and just with pen, pencil and paper, just getting a result that I was happy with. So uh, yeah, that was enjoyable. And there's been numerous, um, well, I did a little bit of artwork last week for the podcast as well just to sort of I guess represent where we were at with the post-apocalyptic saga and it's um, just silhouettes of of my mates and myself <laughs> just to be a little bit you know self-centered uh, in the, the burning 
uh, insides of a barn where we're facing off against one of the characters in that saga. Go check it out. I'm not going to tell you the story now. Go have a listen. Um, and I just all of a sudden thought of drawing a picture to sort of represent it because it seemed like a strong image and it might get people involved or interested enough to, to click on it and see, you know, what it's all about. Um, and I, I quite enjoyed that. It was probably about 45 minutes or an hour of time just to kind of, in my mind, I whipped it up. Like, in my mind, it was a sketchy picture. So have a look at the Fly on the Wall podcast uh, Instagram and uh, see what you think. You can let me know. <laughs> um, and of the logo too, of course. And But, yeah, that was fun to do as well. And I, I like those kinds of things where there's actually a purpose for it. I can see, like, a result for it. Um, I did do the, the, the design on the, the shovel guitar that we talked about a few episodes ago now, and I enjoyed doing that too, just thinking of reasons why, okay, well, that's a great reason to do some drawing, you know, let's do some artwork on there, and that's going to really make it a lot more unique too. And uh, I think that's the thing, even some simple artwork on, uh, you know, a guitar or a, a box that just used to store stuff in or a book cover, whatever, is really cool because it kind of just gives it its own character. It makes it completely unique. And uh, it also made me think about when I was making um, a few years back, <coughs> excuse me, I was making uh, stomp blocks, I called them, which was basically a hardwood piece of timber uh, that you, you stomp on with your foot. And it had just a piezo... Uh, sensor in there with an input jack on the side but I would do a little bit of you know an individual artwork on each one just to make it its own thing just to make it unique from from the other some of them I liked some of them I wasn't as happy with but they were more of a kind of tribal tattoo design but each one had its own thing going on and, and I think that that's what I liked about them and I guess that's what I I like about drawing you know each each piece will, will come up differently. Um, I would say my, my oldest daughter is definitely artistic and she really loves drawing eyes particularly. And But she also draws the characters, these little kind of, I would say they're kind of cartoony characters. And they've changed their style a little bit um, as she's developed what she enjoys, what she likes. But I really like, they've got this quirky edge to them where things aren't symmetrical things aren't in balance but it kind of gives them personality and and then she goes and on the ipad because of course now you can have um, sensitive little pens i can't think of the word for them at the moment but they've got the little fine nib on them and you can use those like a stylus but it's fine tipped to to draw as well on different programs and she sort of creates then a digital version of the sketched character but I, one of the little quirks that I, I really love and I really appreciate about what she's enjoying is that she prefers to do the sketch the, the pencil or the pen sketch on a lined notepad so as opposed to a4 plain white paper which we have and plenty of it's not about short supply she actually prefers to do it on lined paper so you have that in the background not entirely sure why but I just really like that. I think that's a quirky little detail that, that um, I don't know, it gives them a certain charm, a certain personality. And I recall um, 
hero, Luke, used to do a lot of writing, whether it was songs or stories, or draw little men fighting each other. But he would always have this big, lined, um, A4-sized you know, notebook and just fill it with musings. And I just think there's a lot of value in the contents of those. It's not that you would necessarily flick through that on a regular basis, but it's like you can pour yourself out onto the paper and it might be sketches, it might be, you know, how you're feeling that day. It could be a rage-filled sort of scratching out the piece of paper until it's it's torn through three sheets. But it's kind of a, a canvas for your emotions. And it can show through how happy you were with a certain picture or how happy you were with something you've written. And, uh, you know, if you were a bit bored that day and you've done all these flowery decorations around the borderlines of, of your artwork or your writing. But, yeah, I always appreciated that about Euro, and, and I've certainly noticed that with my daughter, and I really love that little element to it. And, and I certainly, as her dad, I like to give her something, I think, you know, for Christmas or, you know, whatever, a gift, whenever that is. Just a lined little notepad. And, and that's such a valuable gift to someone who likes drawing or writing. They, they think of possibilities when they get a blank book. And I remember Eero said the same thing. And I guess I feel the same. I used to love the big A3 uh, or the A4, but they had like a black uh, vinyl kind of cover with a cardboard backing one. And they had the ringlets and all the pages were held in with the ringlets. For some reason, I really loved those. And they're kind of slightly heavier paper or slightly textured paper and I was always look at those like oh you know it's almost too good to use but you just slowly you know feel like doing like a finished piece on one or a good copy of something on, on one of those and I recall that same feeling and I'm not sure if that's a something that everyone feels about new paper <laughs> but it's definitely something I can appreciate and get that enjoyment from. And you know what? I don't even know how I ended up here. <laughs> we were talking about modelling and it's it's made its way to drawing. But that's okay. That's the nature of the beast. But to bring it back to what I was discussing before about World War II aircraft, um, just a fond memory I had was the, of drawing and I did grey lead profile pictures of a whole bunch of World War II aircraft on a poster that I, I had to do a presentation with in grade six primary school and I took a lot of time and, and effort to draw I think it was about 12 aircraft it probably is not at all what I'm thinking about but in my mind it was 12 aircraft 12 side views of the aircraft and then a little bit of information on each one and I took so much time and pleasure in drawing that um, it was just it really it reflected my interest in that and I mean I was obviously only a young man so that World War II aircraft interest has been something that's endured. I think it's all been from the Battle of Britain movie <laughs> that my dad would have shown us when we were very young. And I, I remember, and I often ponder it sometimes too when I think about the movie, because it's one of those ones that I visit in my mind from time to time, thinking about how they portrayed something or how they um, sort of showed a certain battle and they did a great job for the, I think it was 1969 that the movie was made. For, for such a, an older movie by today's standards, they did a great job. And I think that's probably one of its strengths because the Spanish Air Force actually had 
uh, a huge amount of old German aircraft. So they were able to, to paint them and fly them as is with very little alterations uh, to make it look like a German Air Force. So you had, you had period proper aircraft up in the skies or at least very close to. And I think that that shows through. It just looks like you're up in the air flying with them. They basically had painted uh, ex-bombers as camera aircraft. And they were painted in leery colours to make sure there was no confusion. And they were the ones that had the camera crew up there and filming all the the aerial shots. Uh, And then you had all the guys being told what sorts of of stunt work and roles and uh, victory roles and loops and things that they wanted to capture. And off they went and got it all. And I think it really translates beautifully. There's only a few shots in that entire movie where you think, oh, yeah, that's a little bit of a, a like a model work there, or that's a still shot, and they've just cleverly changed it. But for most part, what you see is has been shot. And even some of the explosive work, it, it's, it's not like it's been done low scale. It's been done with full scale uh, carcasses or models, but... They're full scale and then blown up uh, when they're doing, you know, aircraft strafing attacks and, and uh, air raids on um, some of the larger airfields. But it's a it's a fantastic movie and it's got some some big names over the years. I think it's Michael, not Michael York. There's Michael Caine and there's Susanna York. There's Kenneth Moore. Um, there's Laurence Olivier. There's did I say Kenneth Moore? I think I did. Um, there's Christopher Plummer. That's who I didn't say. And there's a few other big names. So I'm sorry I can't relay them all at the moment. But there's some great names throughout that movie. And the roles are really defined. But I remember being so confused as a kid watching it, thinking, not knowing where the settings were or where the attacks were. And it took me a long time, I think, to realise certain parts of the movie. I feel a bit silly now when I look at it in reflection, but also I like the fact that I understand. I understand now the start where they show Dunkirk is basically an abandoned beach with its equipment and and bodies and things lying around. It's just a very brief scene, but it it paints a picture really quickly and then allows you to move into the events of the Battle of Britain. And, you know, that period of time was just very interesting to me because it, it hinted at what was possible in terms of the, uh, Hitler's proposed invasion of England, of southern England. Plans were drawn up. Um, the amphibious landing craft were readied and everybody was prepared. They just needed to knock out the air power that Britain had over the channel. And, you know, over the course of a couple of months in 1940, they were unable to. And that stopped an invasion of southern England. Just the commitment to keep that harassment up of the Luftwaffe, the Luftwaffe <laughs> which was vastly uh, in, in, uh, you know, in numbers, vastly superior in numbers to the English forces. So there's a great deal of respect that come out of my uh, exposure to that movie and also my then interest in that time period. And so I've always appreciated and sort of looked into it more and enjoy listening to documentaries about it. So that four carried over to the drawing part. It also carried over into the the plastic modelling. And I think just in general has has maintained a bit of an interest right through until the present day. 
So anyways, <laughs> I've been talking now for probably about the same length as last time, and I feel like I'm coming to the end of what I feel I needed to say about all of this hobby in terms of plastic modelling before I start getting onto anything else, um, and, and then talking about the drawing side of things. But I just wanted to remind you that uh, I'd love to, to be fueled along to do more of these with your involvement. So, you know, it's a call, it's a call to arms, you know, bring it. Bring it. Give me something to talk about that's other than myself. Um, give me some subject matter. You know, ask me my opinion on something. Whether or not we agree, that's okay too. We can just we can talk about it, and uh, you can you can hear my thoughts if you're interested. But yeah, please feel free to get in touch. As I said earlier, Swamp Bastard Guitars is my Instagram. Feel free to contact me any way you like on there, or the fly, uh, the fly, well, the Master of None Podcast at gmail.com is the email um, I don't tend to check it that often so I will try to in you know after this goes up uh, but Instagram tends to be probably the more common one where I'm sort of getting the updates and so on as it happens so feel free to try that one first if you use it if you don't use it email me and uh, I'm sure I'll check it soon enough and, and be able to get onto whatever you'd like me to talk about but thank you for listening uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. If you've got any suggestions for further subject matter and, and interests, feel free to uh, to give me a list. Give me a list. Give me your five top things that you wanna you wanna hear about or that you enjoy doing. And yeah, I'll I'll give you my thoughts as well. So anyway, have a great rest of the week. Uh, until next time, hopefully I'll be back sooner rather than later. But uh, stick with me. It'll be it'll be fun. Uh, and I will talk to you very very soon. Have a good one. Take it easy. See you later.